Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. We're glad you've joined us, and we look forward to spending time again in the Word of God together. We also invite you to stay tuned at the end of today's broadcast for information about additional studies and resources. Thanks again for being with us. As John continues to describe the incredible scenes he observes in the Revelation, he now begins to look upon the sights surrounding the very throne of God. As we continue to look at Revelation chapter 4, Pastor Phil will discuss what John is describing. After it's all said and done and God's judgment is poured out, Jesus is going to be returning to establish a kingdom on the earth. And many people are going to enter into that kingdom. All of us who are redeemed, some who are still living upon the earth who have become believers, they will enter into the millennial kingdom with their physical bodies. They will marry, have children. Those children will grow up during the millennial kingdom and repopulate the earth. It's going to be a time of great joy and blessing. We're not going to see evil and injustice anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to be reigning visibly upon the earth, and we as his church will be reigning with him throughout the world. And so it's going to be a glorious time, a time when uh, uh, when we're not going to see um, carnivorous animals. You're going to see uh, you know children able to play. Uh, with, you know, the lion will lay down with the ox kind of a thing. The child will play by the adder's hole and not get hurt. It's just, it's going to be a time like we're not even able to really relate to. Uh, It'll be like the Garden of Eden, I'm I'm convinced, before the fall. But we see this rainbow. And uh, this is the same thing Ezekiel saw when he saw a vision of the throne of God in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 28. Ezekiel described it this way. He said, He saw one like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, and so it was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. Now, in verse 4, we are introduced to a group of people that has generated a lot of controversy as to who they are where John said, Around the throne were 24 lesser thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. Who are these 24 elders? Oh, I can't tell you how much controversy these gentlemen have, uh, have spawned over the years, trying to, people trying to figure out who they are. Let me say this. Incorrectly interpreting who they are will cause you to have an incorrect understanding of Revelation chapters 4 through 19. So it's very important that we understand who these guys are, all right? Let me tell you what some think they are, okay? Many people say they're tribulation saints. Tribulation saints. They can't be tribulation saints. Turn to Revelation chapter 7. In verse 13, then one of the elders answers saying to me, to John, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where do they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So these are tribulation saints. And they don't show up until chapter 7. So we're in chapter 4, 
They're not even there yet. They can't be tribulation saints, whoever these 24 elders are. Uh, the number one view among post-tribulationists and possibly among mid-tribbers and pre-wrath people is that they're angels. These 24 elders, elders are angels. Well, they can't be angels. Because in chapter 7, verse 11, John said, All the angels. How many is that? All the angels stood around the throne and the elders. So these are two distinct groups. You have all the angels and the elders. So the angels and elders, they, the angels can't be the elders. Uh, and the four living creatures and fell on their faces before the throne worshiping God. Look, there's some other good reasons why they can't be angels. And since this is such a popular interpretation, let me just give you a few of them so that you understand there's no way these are angels. First of all, they are seen sitting on lesser thrones, reigning with Christ. Nowhere in the New Testament are angels ever pictured on thrones reigning. They are ministering servants sent forth to do the bidding of God. That's number one. They can't be angels because they're called elders. There are no elder angels. They were all made on the same day. They're all the same age, basically. <laughs> the word elder is only used of men in the Bible. Elders are always chosen representatives and leaders of people in both Israel and the church. And finally, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, which is not free of controversy, by the way. We'll look at that next week. But in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, these elders sing the song of the redeemed. And angels never sing the song of the redeemed because angels can't be redeemed. When they fall, that's it. They don't get another chance. Aren't you glad you're not an angel? And by the way, when you die, you don't become an angel. As so many people like to say, oh, you know, God needed another angel in heaven. That's why, you know, my cousin or whoever it might be went to be with him. No, we don't become angels. Uh, we were created a little lower than the angels, but someday we are going to rule over angels as the church of Jesus Christ. Well, some believe, and this is a, a, a decent interpretation, this next one, some believe they represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles. In other words, all of the redeemed throughout the Old and New Testaments. All right, that's not too bad. Except, why isn't John pictured among the 12 then? I mean, he's standing separate. If there are 12 apostles and 12 tribes of Israel, why is John standing separate? He was one of the apostles. And what about what Jesus said in Matthew 12, or excuse me, 19, verse 28, when Jesus said to the apostles, Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So it doesn't seem like it fits, does it? So who are these 24 elders? They're very important that we understand who they are. Let's go back to Revelation 4 and read verse 4 again. There are some clues. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. First of all, they're sitting on what? Thrones. Well, back in chapter 3 to the church of Laodicea in verse 21, 
Jesus made a promise. He said to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. We see them wearing white robes. And to the church of Sardis in Revelation 3 verse 5, we read, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Another promise given to the church, that they would someday be wearing white garments or white robes. These folks have crowns on their heads. Now here's, I I love this. You know, a little Greek, it really opens your eyes. In Greek, there are two words for crowns. There is diadem, which is the word for a crown that a king would wear. When Jesus appears, he's wearing many diadems because he is the king of kings, right? There is also another Greek word translated crown. It's the Greek word stephanos. And that was more of a victor's crown. When you were victorious in athletic competition, they would, you would come before the judge's seat, they would put on your head a victor's crown, usually a laurel wreath, a stephanos. It was a earned reward. These 24 elders are wearing crowns of gold, stephanos. These are earned rewards. It's interesting that as of this point, They seem like they've already stood before the judge's seat and received their rewards. Now we see them then in heaven. And this takes us back to Revelation 2, verse 10. Again, Jesus speaking to the church of Smyrna. He said, Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation 3, verse 11, to the church of Philadelphia, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And Jesus said in Revelation 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. When the church gets raptured to meet the Lord in the air, the first thing we receive is our what? Our rewards, our crowns. And so John has been raptured. He looks and he sees 24 elders. They are sitting on thrones, reigning with Christ. They are wearing white robes, the robes of righteousness. And they are wearing victor's crowns to the overcomer. I will give the crown of life, the crown of this. They are earned rewards. Folks, I don't know how hard this is, but who are these people? They're representative of what? The church. The reason so many people try to make them everything other than the church is because of your mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib, you can't have these 24 elders be in the church. Because the church then is up in heaven before the great tribulation begins. And if you're mid-trib, pre-wrath, or post-trib, the church is going through some or all of the tribulation period in your mind. So... You can't have these folks being the church. But I don't see how they can be anything but the church, really. Now, some people say, well, wait a minute now. The number 24 is only used one time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in 1 Chronicles chapter 24. And it was speaking of Israel. So it must be Israel. Well, now, wait a minute. If you go back to 1 Chronicles 24, you realize the priesthood 
had grown so large that they all couldn't really serve the Lord there at the temple. So King David wisely divided up all the priests into 24 groups or courses, and each group served two weeks out of the year. So it was a number given to the priesthood. Well, in 1 Peter, Peter says, We the church are a royal priesthood. We are called a kingdom of priests in the New Testament. I see the church in view. Something else that I think you'll find interesting. Every time in the Old Testament, when we get a glimpse of heaven, and there are several passages, Daniel 7, Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, and 10. Every time we get a glimpse of heaven through the eyes of Daniel, or Isaiah, or Ezekiel, they pretty much describe everything that John is describing here. Except there's always one group in the Old Testament left out. We never see them until we come to the New Testament and John describes his view of heaven and he describes this group, the 24 elders. In the Old Testament, you won't find them. In all the people that have visions of heaven or are taken to heaven, they describe the throne, they describe the one sitting on the throne, they describe the angels around the throne, they describe other things going on. The 24 elders are absent. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because, as Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 5, that the church was a mystery hidden from the Old Testament saints. The church was a mystery hidden from the... These 24 elders were angels. We see angels in the Old Testament. There's no reason for Daniel or Ezekiel or Isaiah to leave out angels. In fact, they describe angels uh, in different places. But these 24 elders have to be a representative of the church, which was hidden from the Old Testament saints. So it doesn't surprise me that Daniel, Isaiah, Ezekiel saw God's throne, but did not see the 24 elders. John sees them because John is a member of the church age of the church. Well, in verse 5, he goes on, and from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. As I said, these are always, in nature, an indication that a storm is coming. And God uses them in his word to talk about another storm coming, the storm of judgment. We saw it in the Old Testament when God judged Egypt in Exodus 9, verse 23. It says, And Moses stretched out his rod toward heaven, and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire, darted to the ground, and the Lord rained hail on the land of Egypt. Exodus 9.28, excuse me, Pharaoh said, Entreat the Lord, speaking to Moses, that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough, I will let you go, you shall stay no longer. And the idea is, of course, that God was judging Egypt. Egypt in the Old Testament is a type of the world. And as God judged Egypt preceding the judgment with thunderings and lightnings and and hail and different things. God is, these are signaling God's judgment is coming or it's coming simultaneously with the sound of these storm signals, these thunderings and lightnings, etc. We're going to see these storm signals, if I can call them that, repeated several times during the uh, book of Revelation, always uh, along with God pouring out some 
current judgment at that time. In fact, you read about them in chapter 8, verse 5, chapter 11, verse 19. I'll read you 1, chapter 16, verse 18. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. What kind of time is coming to this planet? I mean, the people of this world have absolutely no idea what's coming. You know, just like it was in the days of Noah, remember what Jesus said? They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the very day Noah entered the ark and the judgment of God came. In other words, business as usual, completely oblivious to what was coming. Not that they should have been oblivious. Noah had preached for 120 years that judgment was coming, but nobody listened. They laughed at him. Just like people laugh at you and I. We try to tell them, look, judgment is coming to this world. You better get your life right with God. They laugh. They mock. The idea that God would judge if they even believe in God is funny to them. They, they, they just mock at that idea. You know, as we think about this, we, we, we realize that, you know, the world doesn't like to think of a God that judges. If they even believe in, a, in God at all. I mean, if people are uh, willing to at least entertain the idea that God could exist, he's always a God that is soft on sin, long on love, a God that's very tolerant, kind of a deist God who may have created everything but then retreated to a neutral corner, never gets involved in the affairs of man, lets us pretty much do whatever we want, doesn't judge, is very tolerant and very accepting of all different kinds of people and religious views and so on. This is the God the world loves to worship, isn't it? Not the God of the Bible, who is a God of love, but is very much active in the lives of His creation and is said to us over and over again through prophets and through other means, whether it be angels or visions or such and such, God has spoken to us and then finally sent His Son, the final word, who came to the earth and told us what's coming. And this, is, of course, is the final revelation that God gave to the Son, who gave it to John to give to all of us. That judgment is coming upon this Christ-rejecting world. The earth is terminal, like the Titanic so many years ago. The earth in the Garden of Eden hit an iceberg called sin. It's been sinking slowly ever since. And there's no hope for the rescue of the world. We need to, our only hope is to be rescued off of this planet before it self-destructs. And that's, of course, through Jesus Christ, who alone can deliver us. The rapture is God rescuing us off of this world before the whole thing implodes. He goes on in verse 5, he sees seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which John describes are the seven spirits of God. Now, the seven lamps of fire represent the Holy Spirit in his fullness and majesty. There is only one Holy Spirit, obviously, but the number seven represents perfection and completeness. So, of course, the Holy Spirit is perfect. He is complete. In verse 6, John said, before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. Now, this is interesting. There was a sea of glass like crystal. You realize, of course, that the tabernacle in the wilderness, you know, God, when, when Moses, you know, when Charlton Heston came down off of the mountain, <laughs> he had under his one arm the Ten Commandments, right? Right? 
he should have had under the other arm a very intricate set of, of, of blueprints or diagrams because God gave him some very specific dimensions for building the tabernacle and the entire courtyard and the whole deal and uh, of course what the priests were to wear and so on and so forth but the tabernacle in the wilderness especially was a picture symbolically of God's throne in heaven the tabernacle represented that symbolically on the earth now before the priest could enter the holy place of course uh, the uh, temple or the tabernacle proper was divided into two compartments The first compartment was the holy place. When you entered that compartment as a priest, on your right there would be a small golden table with the 12 loaves of bread, the showbread, one for each of the 12 tribes. To your left there was only one source of light, the seven-branched oil-burning lamp called the menorah. All pointed to Christ, everything. He's the bread of life. He's the light of the world. It's all about Jesus, okay? I encourage you, uh, if you can still find M.R.D. Hahn's book on the tabernacle, get it, read it. You will be thrilled. It's fascinating, okay? He goes into every detail, sheds incredible light on how everything in the tabernacle pictured Christ. But before the priest could enter into the holy place and have fellowship with God, he first had to wash in this large uh, basin called the laver, all right? Of course, in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, uh, they didn't make it all that big because they had to carry the thing wherever they were going to next. Now, when Solomon uh, made it, he made it very large, 15 feet in diameter, sitting on 12, what, lions, I think it was, or was it oxen? I can't remember now. But it was uh, seated on these 12 uh, beasts of burden. Gigantic thing, okay? The laver signified the word of God. The priest could not approach God and have fellowship until they first washed in the laver any more than we could approach God and have fellowship until we first cleanse ourselves in the word of God. Hey, look, we walk through this filthy, sinful world all day long, and we brush up against the people of this world. We hear their stories, their jokes, the crude stuff that we hear all the time, and the philosophies and all. And we need to come home and wash ourselves in the Word of God. You know, kind of wash away the dirt so that we can have the mind of Christ again and come into fellowship with God. Correct? Paul said in Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify his bride and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. Well, now the church is in heaven, and we have our glorified bodies. And we don't need any longer to wash in the water of the Word because we're not in the world anymore. We're not picking up any of the world's garbage. So now, instead of the laver filled with water, John sees before the throne a glassy sea, a solid. We're not washing in the Word anymore. We are standing on it. Sounds like a bad pun. Standing on the Word. But literally, that's what John sees. The Word represents the promises. We have fellowship with God in heaven continuously because of the promises that he gave to us. And I'm thinking primarily of the promise of eternal life, which didn't depend on us at all. It depended on the finished work of Christ. So once we enter into that new life, it was eternal. And we live part of it here on the earth. And someday the Lord is going to take us off of this earth, glorify our bodies, And we're no longer going to need to wash in the water of the word. That's all done. Now we stand on it. We stand on the promises of God, which allow us to stand before his throne. 
Well, verse 6, before the throne was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures. If you've got a King James, it's trans- it translates that beasts, but the uh, Greek word is a word that means the four living ones, four living creatures full of eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature like a calf or like an ox, actually. The third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Now, when Ezekiel sees his vision of heaven, he describes the same thing. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10, he said, And as for the likeness of their faces, describing these beings, each had the face of a man, each, had the four, each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, Each of the four had the face of an ox. On the left side, each of the four had the face of an eagle. In Ezekiel 10, verse 20 and 21, he says, This is the living creature I saw under the God of Israel by the river Kibar, and I knew they were cherubim. The I am in the Hebrew at the end is a plural. So it's cherub, or plural is cherubim. Each had uh, four faces and each one four wings. You've been listening to Day by Day, the verse-by-verse Bible teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village, Illinois, with Pastor Phil Ballmeyer. Today's message, as well as many other studies, can be heard and downloaded free of charge from our website at daybydayradio.org. From our website, you can contact us, order resources, read Pastor Phil's blog, and also subscribe to our daily podcast. We hope you'll pay us a visit. And remember to join us for Day by Day, Monday through Friday, here on this station. Thanks again for listening, and please join us again next time as we continue to study God's Word. Until then, may the Lord richly bless you and guide your steps as you walk with Him, day by day. Day by day.